This is our very first podcast, and if you're curious what it is that we do here, well, we report on the latest news stories regarding UFOs, extraterrestrials, aliens, and if you don't want to call it UFOs, you can call it ARVs, Alien Replicate Vehicles, UAVs, Unmanned Aerial Vehicles. It does not matter for us. Our goal is to simply report on the extraordinary topics that are often ignored by mainstream media. So today we have a very interesting episode. Now, I'm not sure if you have been keeping track of the UFO research, or at least what's happening with the UFO topic, but lately there has been a very important guest that came into the Joe Rogan Experience podcast by the name of Bob Lazar. Now, this man is a physicist, or claimed physicist, and in 1989, he broke through with a story that he back-engineered alien crafts or what he thought to be alien crafts, an underground installation called S4 that's juxtaposed to Area 51. Now, he broke the story to then-investigative journalist George Knapp that was working in Las Vegas. And to me personally, what I always found impressive about the story was the idea that Bob Lazar was very specific in how he described his job, the actual physics of the craft itself, and my father was a theoretical physicist. Now, physicist is not my first field. I used to teach a little bit of mathematics, and, and I did tutor for sciences before, but really I, I was a psychology major. But my father is a theoretical physicist, and I grew up talking a lot about this subject. And there was something about what Bob Lazar said that just kind of made sense all of a sudden. It's, it's as if he was able to circumvent a question that I've always had in my head which had a lot to do with how do you get from point A to point B so quickly when you have this space-time continuum. It never occurred to me that you could actually bypass the space-time continuum by creating a thermodynamic isolated bubble. And like any bubble, if you were to shape in a kind of unlong shape and to suddenly pop it, well, the craft is not going to get from point A to point B in a speed that space-time stretches. It's going to really get from point A to point B at the speed that that bubble collapses. So I always found that kind of fascinating. It was to me, it was a way to kind of circumvent the space-time continuum issue, something that I never could understand how it was possible to do. And if you to examine some of these new concepts brought up by NASA scientists as to how in the future we could potentially have almost Star Trek-like warp zone, well, what they often talk about is kind of bending space in a donut-like shape around the craft itself, not too different from the physical apparatus that Bob Lazar was talking about. Now, there are two things that fascinated me about the fact that Bob Lazar was on the Joe Rogan show. One of them, this story that was mostly ignored by the you know general public, it suddenly was being spoken about to the tunes of four, four million views. Is I think that was the last time that I checked a YouTube count. So that's... Um, that's a significant audience. That That's something that can actually put an indentation in the cultural zeitgeist. But what was even more fascinating to me was this idea that only a week later after this story comes out, suddenly uh, the Drive, a website dedicated in reporting on war stories as well as motorcycles, well, they came out with this interesting story that the Navy has apparently patented a UFO. And we're not talking about just a drone that is shaped like a UFO. 
we're talking about a craft that utilizes exotic technologies often associated with, for example, alien replicate vehicles, something that Bob Lazar claimed he worked on. So I'm just going to read off real quickly and uh, explain to you what I mean by this. So it says here, the United States Secretary of Navy is listed as the assignee on several radical aviation technologies patented by aerospace engineer working at the Naval Air Force Warfare Center Aircraft Division headquarters. One of these patents describes a hybrid aerospace underwater craft claimed to be capable of truly extraordinary feats of speed and maneuverability in air, water, and outer space alike thanks to a revolutionary electromagnetic propulsion system. I have to just stop right here because instantly something just screams out at me. And that is a hybrid aerospace slash underwater craft. And for all of those who are familiar with the UFO research, how many times have we heard about these cases that are not just described as UFOs, unidentified flying objects, but also USOs, unidentified submersible objects? Why is it that the naval intelligence are often contracted or often related to these UFO issues? Perhaps because when UFOs are sighted, it's not just the skies, it's perhaps to oceans. To go even further with this concept, I believe Bob Lazar might have actually been contracted by naval intelligence. Now, I might have to backtrack that information, but if we were to even get more eclectic with this, let's think about the idea. And this, this is something that I wanted to bring up. I kind of just briefly touched up in one episode. But it's this strange concept that in one of the commandments, it says, thou shalt not make an idol of anything that comes from the skies above, the earth beneath, or the oceans under the earth. Now, why would you specify that whatever these gods are, they're not allowed to make creations of, why these three places because what really caught my attention is not just that there's a rule that you're not allowed to depict these gods very realistically but according to the and i'm not kidding with this one the australian aborigines in their mythology is something that i just randomly came across in my research they also have rules against creating their gods the the rainbow serpents so to speak i guess in mine they call them quatsakoto the feathered serpents but the rainbow serpents that you're not allowed to make an idol of in the Wajinas, what they call these weird beings that they came from dream time is what they call it, that these Wajinas, look, I, I know this is a podcast, but just take the time, look up W-A-D-J-I-N-A-S and look at what these things look like because they look like little greys. You go to the Hopi Indians and they call them ant people. You go to the Dogon tribe in West Africa. They're called frog face people. The point is, these gods, aliens, extra extraterrestrials, however you want to describe them, they're prevalent all over our cultures, but specifically describing aborigines Australians. They didn't just say that you're not allowed to depict the Wajinas realistically. They actually said that the Wajinas not just only came from dream time, but they also arrived from the skies above, the oceans, under the earth, and under the earth itself. So when I see this patent saying that this hybrid craft is not only capable of being an aerospace craft, but also a submersible object, you know, a lot of lights start ringing up in my head about this one. 
Okay, so I'm going to read further because I kind of enjoy this part of the article. It says here, sounds far-fetched, you're not alone. A primary patent examiner at the United States Patent and Trademark Office thought so too. But then the chief technical officer of the Naval Aviation Enterprise personally wrote a letter addressed to the examiner claiming that the U.S. needs to patent as the Chinese are already investing significantly in these aerospace technologies that sound eerily similar to the UFOs reported by Navy pilots in the now well-known encounters. And I think they're referring to the Nimitz, the USS Nimitz encounters. Um, and, and I don't know if you've been watching uh, the news lately about UFOs, the whole To the Stars Academy program with Luis Elizano, who claimed to be a former Pentagon official, Christopher Mellon, who used to oversee different compartmentalized agencies of the government. These individuals, they're the ones who first came out with the story of a Tic Tac UFO. They're the ones who came out with the firefighter footage, the, the, the I'm sorry, the gun footage from the fighter jets. They brought this footage to the New York Times. I mean, not just to the New York Times, but to CNN, to all the mainstream organizations that finally started publishing on this information. These are the guys who did so. So what this article is kind of saying here is that this is not a joke and that we need to be patenting this because it appears that the U.S. military is in competition with China and China is already building what we would consider UFOs which raises a lot of important questions regarding the subject. One being, can we ever look at a UFO from this day forward and not have this plausible deniability that it might be a military craft? Because now they're saying that they have the patent to the exotic technology. It, it's almost like the age of deep fake where politicians can have videos created of them that mimic them doing certain actions or saying certain things that they may not have said. And what to me, I don't want to get too political on this channel, but what kind of scares me a little bit is that the mainstream news media has been caught lying quite often lately. I mean, one classic example is the Covington Kid incident where they misreported how the event actually took place. And I believe there's some kind of litigation that's happening with that. But I'm getting off topic. The, the point that I'm trying to say is that the media is something that has been lying. And now that they have this ability to deep fake, it's, it's just a very scary scenario. And I feel like with for UFO researchers, we're treading in similar waters when the U.S. Navy is finally patenting these so-called UFOs. I mean, like I said, you use whatever acronym you want, just talking about something that's traditionally considered to have exotic technologies. Now, being the first episode, I guess I should briefly touch on the idea that part of, if you've seen the show on YouTube, a point that we constantly make, and it's a belief of ours, is that UFOs or these type of crafts have these type of exotic technologies. It's not just now that they've been reported on. These things have been reported on in the 1800s. That's why they have things called cowboys and aliens. There was a very famous crash that happened in Aurora, Texas, that was in the 19th century. It was in 1894, I believe. Um, I might get that. I might have gotten the date incorrect, but it, it's definitely close to that. Then you have the ones that happened in 1561 in Nuremberg, Germany, where apparently Star Wars-like events was witnessed by if not hundreds of thousands of residents and they were talking about balls spheres cigar shaped objects things falling to the ground and exploding 
Now, mind you, people who have barely made it across the ocean to Americas, and in fact, they hadn't made it to America yet, you know, let alone being able to describe airships. And then, of course, you go back and you look at some of the Renaissance paintings. Uh, you, you look at Madonna on the rocks and you see some subject looking at a UFO or some kind of object in the skies that looks like a metallic piece of plate that's just floating up there. And look, the dog is also looking at it. So it, this is not a mistake. Somebody was trying to say that whatever is an essence of divinity seems to also have this metallic plate in the background type symbolism. I, you know, it's... Could it be that the halo was related to this? That when you talk about angels having a halo on their head, I'm just speculating here, but kind of interesting. It is a position in the show that UFOs have been reported for a long time. So my inclination is that when the Navy puts out a report, a patent, so to speak, and this patent becomes public to the people only days, a week after Bob Lazar starts talking about his story, and creates plausible deniability that these crafts can indeed be military, well, to me, it feels like a disinformation campaign. And, and that's what this episode is about. But it, it's hard to make that point just in one episode because you really have to go over all the facts, all the research, all the arguments that we, we are discussing when talking about aliens not just being reported in modern times, but being reported on consistently throughout our history. It's interesting because this article on the drive even kind of agrees with that assertion. It says here, the wondrous inventions of Dr. Salvatore Cesar Pais, the bizarre sake of the U.S. Navy and its sudden willingness to admit that its personal regularly encounter unidentified objects in the skies keep getting stranger. Why this sudden shift in policy? Right. That's, that's kind of what we're trying to say. Why would they suddenly talk about this? Reading further. What is the motivation for disclosing these encounters to the public? News outlets of all types have for months been discussing the matter, yet we still don't know exactly what is actually happening here. And I think in a sense that this article is kind of hinting that the timing seems to be funny, funny coincidence would be one way to say it. But the idea is that if you were to look at the motive, it seems to be more aligned that this could be a disinformation campaign. So I guess I should uh, go ahead and read the patent for you because this is really interesting to me. The patent, according to this article, it says that the one of the inventions was a curiously shaped, they say curiously shaped because it looks like a UFO, high frequency gravitational wave generator. Sounds like it came out straight out of Star Trek, except that the patent is real. In fact, I'll, I'll give you the patent. It's US 10322. 827B2. You can go ahead and look it up yourself. So it states here, a high-frequency gravitational wave generator, including a gas-filled shell with an outer shell surface, microwave emitters, sound generators, and acoustic vibration resonant gas-filled cavities. The outer shell surface is electrically charged and vibrated by the microwave emitters to generate a first electromagnetic field. The acoustic vibrational resonant gas-filled cavities each have a cavity surface that can be electrically charged and vibrated by acoustic energy from the sound generators such that a second electromagnetic field is generated. The two acoustic vibration resonant gas-filled cavities are able to counterspin relative to each other to provide stability and propagating gravitational field fluctuations are generated when the second electromagnetic field propagates through the first electromagnetic field. Now, if you didn't catch all of that, Basically, what seems to be happening here is if you're familiar with Earth's magnetosphere, 
One of the things that makes Earth's magnetosphere protect us from the sun is the electromagnetic field. It acts as kind of a shield for other electrically charged particles. So if you were to build an electromagnetic field, in a sense, it would be impenetrable given the strength of the input item in the field itself, but it, it, it's in a sense a shield to other electromagnetic occurrences. Creating two electromagnetic fields is not an easy process, but I believe from this patent, what it seems to be stating here is that they're using acoustic properties to essentially penetrate that electromagnetic field to create the action potential from, I guess, what is resonant gas filled cavities. And that essentially is able to create its own electromagnetic field. And I guess the electromagnetic fields are counter spin to each other, I guess, in the way that they repel against each other and that somehow the interaction of this repelling is creating gravitational fluctuations. Interesting, because this is actually not that far from what Michio Kako was describing in this book called Physics of the Possible. He's a he's a physicist, very famous physicist, was considered to be New York Times 10 smartest man. You know, it's one of those arbitrary rankings. But the point is, men is very well known, very well respected in his field. And I, I believe what he said, and I hope I'm not wrong about this, that it's a type two civilization that essentially is one who is able to harness gravity by somehow creating a stabilized electromagnetic field that can counter Earth's own electromagnetic field. So the idea of using repelling electromagnetic fields as a way to conquer gravity to essentially create anti-gravity technologies, this is a theoretical construct that has already been discussed by physicists in this example, Michio Kaku and the physics of the impossible. So once again, here we have a concept that seems to resonate with what other scientists or futurists were pondering about. Now, if you did catch the Bob Lazar episode, what makes this even more interesting is that Bob Lazar talked about that one of the apparatus that he was in charge of was a gravity emitting object. I, I don't know how else to describe it. So his job was to try to figure out this object that seemed to just create gravity. And in a sense, in a more micro scale, that's what this patent seems to be doing when it talks about creating gravitational wave fluctuations. I mean, that's essentially reducing gravity in a way and, and, and controlling gravity in a way. And maybe this is one of the, the secrets that one of the keys to being able to create anti-gravity aircrafts. So very interesting. The patent is real. It seems like the technology echoes not with just Bob Lazar's story, but also what other physicists have talked about theoretically in their books. So all I can say is, yeah, the patent might be real, but the timing of it certainly seems fishy to me. And to me, it seems like a disinformation campaign for no other reason than just to give a air of deniability that these crafts were never inspired by aliens but might have always been something that was military. That, and that is why I brought up the Cowboys and Aliens example, because these things have been reported for as long as human have been writing history. Look at the Zarothoracic text. Why is it their god, Ahura Mazda, is standing on top of what looks like a UFO? Can anybody answer that? Can anybody answer why is it that the gods come from the skies mostly, a, a place that's mostly 
uninhabitable by humans. Why aren't these gods mostly coming from the underworld? Of course, if you were to read some mythologies, you have the idea of Zeus sentencing the, the Titans to the underworld, to Hades, by, you know, ushering his lightning bolts. You can make whatever interpretation you want of that. To me, it's no coincidence that dragons are associated with caves. Just something that we can save for a different episode. Anyways, that is the episode for today. Thank you so much for joining me in Second Earth's very first podcast. If you want to contact us, you can do so at eafiles.contact at gmail.com. And we do offer a Patreon account. You will get a first look as well as priority chats on the Patreon. And you can join for as low as $1 a month. So the website is patreon.com slash Second Earth. This is Flippy Osorio echoing the truth from the sound waves of California. Signing out. Thank you.